Well, as our text has been read to us and has been mentioned, today we come to that very famous story of Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. The two stories everybody knows in Daniel is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And that's what we approach today in this story with Daniel and Darius. Now, at the outset, and I mentioned it last week, um, worth contemplating who this Darius is, um, because we know that King Cyrus is the king that will come and deliver Israel and actually send them back and and was very generous, if you will, as a leader compared to how many leaders would be uh, toward the house of Israel and to the people of God, giving them all the articles of the temple, letting them go back to the land and reestablish the walls of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. And I will just say that many believe that Darius that's being spoken of here is in fact Cyrus, um, and that Darius is his Median name and Cyrus is his Persian name um, for several reasons. One, it's Cyrus who uh, defeats Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and so it, whoever this Darius is, if he's not Cyrus, would be a lesser ruler. And it doesn't appear that that's the case. He's the one who's who is uh, making all these rules of the Medes and the Persians and so forth. So I, I, I do believe that we're dealing with uh, Cyrus here just by a different name. Okay, all that being said, the story at hand. The story here, uh, remember now, Belshazzar is gone. Uh, Cyrus has come in and defeated him. We saw that last week with the writing on the wall and Belshazzar uh, in his pride going down, um, elevating Daniel, but elevating Daniel in a kingdom that is about to fall that night and in fact did fall by the hand of Cyrus. And as Cyrus, or Darius in this case, uh, comes into power, um, somehow he knows of Daniel, or at least very quickly Daniel makes his presence felt within the kingdom because Daniel is given this place of great authority. You know, Cyrus and the, the Medes, and particularly the Persians, brought order to an ever-expanding empire. You got to remember that the, the, the empires keep getting swallowed up. The Assyrians were swallowing up people. And then the Babylonians came. They were the bigger fish. It swallowed them. And now the Medes and the Persians have come and swallowed them. And, and you know, the empire is growing and growing. And it really took some bureaucratic leadership to uh, and some structure to organize this. And you see that uh, it's some of the details given to us right in the beginning of this text, right? You've got satraps that one of the things that Cyrus did and his successors did is they divided their entire empire into what shall we call them? States, counties, you know, whatever. They were called satrapies in, uh, in his day. And then you place a satrap over each one. So that was a way to, to decentralize the rule of the emperor and to make sure that his presence was felt in the different nooks and crannies of the empire. But of course, that presents a problem. And, and the problem that presents is, you know, these satraps can start to feel like, hmm, you know, I'm kind of far away from the from the king, and maybe I can start to form a little fiefdom here for myself. You know, I can I can gain power, and maybe in time these guys get enough power, and they eventually try to overthrow the king. And so these are the kinds of things that kings and emperors had to worry about. How do we manage a growing empire and keep accountability and so forth? Well, Cyrus is a very wise man. 
So he's got the satraps, but then not just the satraps, but then he makes sure that there are administrators over them to make sure they're checking on them. So underneath Cyrus, but over the different satraps. And what we're told very early on is that Daniel ends up being one of these three guys, these three administrators who are going to be watching over the satraps and making sure that no funny business is going on within the, the empire. So, so Daniel is one of those crossovers. I mean, he's a, as a young boy, he was a crossover from Judah into Babylon, and very quickly the Babylonians recognized a gifting in him and elevated him to a position of power. So much so that by the time the Babylonian kingdom falls, Daniel is really going to be almost next in line in the kingdom. That's how far Daniel had ascended through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And now he's a crossover from Babylon into the Persian Empire. Cyrus Darius knows of him. Perhaps he's heard the stories of, of, of Daniel's work and his wisdom, his interpretation of dreams uh, and, and visions and so forth, and his work within the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. But somehow Daniel finds himself as one of these three top dogs over the satraps. And then beyond that, of these three, it's Darius's desire to elevate Daniel to be sort of like Joseph with Pharaoh next under him. So of those three, Daniel's going to be elevated even above them. Well, this didn't really sit too well with the, uh, with the Persians, you know, that, that this outsider uh, who's in here, who, this, this alien amongst us, you know, this exile from Judah, as they tell uh, Cyrus later, uh, he's going to get elevated over us? No, no. So they go to work. They send out their squad to find some dirt on Daniel. Where can we find dirt? Let's go, boys. we got to go find something that we can bring to chop his legs out from under him. And what a testimony to Daniel. You know, we, 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 we think about, we don't want to use Daniel as a mere moral example, but at the same time, it is, it is worth contemplating. You know, were, were somebody to dig the dirt on us, what would, they, what would they find? But they went to work on Daniel. And boy, they couldn't come up with anything. They all rally back. What'd you boys find? You know, and not nothing. He's squeaky clean, this guy. All right, well, let's find some neglect. Is there anything? Forget things he is doing. He's, you know, he's not using the, the, uh, you know, the business credit card for personal expenses, nothing like that. What, 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 what's he doing on the negative side? Maybe are there any duties he's neglecting? They all go back to work to find things. They come back. No, he's spot on, this guy. Like the tasks he's given, he does. Everything is in order. What a testimony of Daniel. Again, this man who is living in exile, but nonetheless views his responsibility. I, I, I see in Daniel that word of Paul to servants in, in well, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, but particularly in, in Colossians where he says, hey, do not do your work as man-pleasers. Yeah, we're worrying about what they think about you. Do your work as unto the Lord in all things. Right? So, and, and Daniel clearly has this. Daniel is serving within this idolatrous kingdom. He's living in exile as we are. And yet he's doing his work with excellence unto the Lord. And wow, it really shows. They, they, they find no fault in the man, if you will. Well, there's only one way to get Daniel, they know, is to get him on principle. We know that Daniel will not bend, that his reputation precedes him on this, that he is so committed to his God that if we can just put him up against it, where he will either have to deny his God 
or deny the emperor. In some sense, we win either way, because on the one hand, we break his, we break his principle, or we expose him as having a higher loyalty than to the king, and we can win that way. So that's how we'll get Daniel, and that's the scheme that they do. And so they come rushing back. <laughs> We're told they throng to the king, and they come back and they say, king, 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 uh, may you live forever. Uh, we, 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 we come up with a plan. We come up, they all have to say, may you live forever. So that seems to be the answer. May you live forever. But listen, we've got a plan, everybody. We're all in on this. That... <laughs> Why don't we come up with a thing that for 30 days, nobody can pray to anybody but you? This seems like a great plan. I, I don't know why 30, like if you're the king, I might say, why? <laughs> why? Why 30 days? Like what's this supposed to do? I don't know. I guess demonstrate maybe his leadership. I don't know. He doesn't know. No one knows. But, but they're all in accord on this. We've got everybody's ready to sign this. We just need you to sign it into law. But we've come. Everybody's on board. This is going to be great. And the king says, okay. <laughs> so he signs it. Well, aha. And you'll remember this from the book of Esther. That when you sign this, it goes into the law books of the Medes and the Persians. And the laws of the Medes and the Persians, apparently, cannot be broken. No matter what. Once it's signed, not even the king can undo it. You'll remember in, in the book of Esther, this is what got... You know, King Xerxes, Ahasuerus, in, in trouble, right? Because he signs this edict to kill all the Jews and then realizes, oh, no, Esther's a Jew, right? We, we got this problem. And, oh, no, but there's nothing I can do because it's signed into law. And even the king couldn't say, no, what? No, we're not doing that. It seems so obvious to me. Just be like, okay, I, here's another law, the, the, the Medes and the Persians, we're not doing it. All right, just do that. But they, I guess that didn't cross their minds or they felt in principle they couldn't do it. And so you'll remember that in the book of Esther, he, he did, he kind of did. He said, okay, here's another law of the Medes and the Persians. Um, the Jews can defend themselves with no recourse. They can just, if anybody threatens you, you can defend yourself freely. And that kind of put the wet blanket on the whole let's go kill Jews thing because the, the Jews now could fight back and, and they were free and they had the king's blessing in, in fighting back. And so, okay, that was his way of squashing it. Well, here, Darius signs this thing. Aha, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, let's see what happens. We have 30 days. And then they, they kind of, you know, they snoop around. <laughs> you know, they're watching Daniel's. I think of them like the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day. You know, when Jesus is, I, particularly the scene that comes to my head is when Jesus is walking through the fields and on, on the Sabbath, you know, and they pick some corn. And like, I don't know, but I just picture it like out of the cornfield pops the, you know, the, <laughs> the Pharisees and they're like, aha, you know, you guys are working on the Sabbath. And they're like, what are you doing out here in the cornfield? Like, you know, but they're, 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 they're watching, they're scheming. And, and they, they, I, we saw you picking corn in the cornfield. It's like, you guys got to get a life, but, but they're, but they're out there watching them in the cornfield. And, and here Daniel, Daniel is praying. Now, Dan, what's awesome about this? is that Daniel apparently is kind of in the wings. He doesn't speak up and say, hey, king, um, don't sign this. Man, all the momentum is for signing this. And Daniel apparently is there or around about because when he sees that he signed it, now it's the law of the mean the Persians. Now it's decision time on Daniel. And I have to admit, I mean, I would come up with a million ways to get out of this. 
you know, I'd be thinking, all right, it's just 30 days, you know, <laughs> or I'd be thinking, I'm going to pray silently now, or I'm going to close my blinds, or something. Daniel sees this thing signed, and immediately it's just told. Once he saw, when Daniel knew, this is when Daniel knew what was written and signed, he went home into his upper room, opened the windows, knelt down, and started praying. It was like, okay. And I see what's going on here. I'm going home and praying. It's what I do. Apparently, he does this three, uh, three times a day, facing Jerusalem, based off a, a, a prayer that Solomon made in 1 Kings, where he said, hey, if, if things go bad in the land of Israel, Lord, we know you will deliver. If your people will just repent and turn toward Jerusalem and pray. And Daniel has laid hold of that promise. And Daniel, I don't know what the rest of the people of Israel are doing, but I'm in exile and I'm kneeling, and I'm facing Jerusalem, and I'm going to pray to my God for help. And so as soon as he sees it signed, he goes up, opens the blinds, faces Jerusalem, and begins to pray. And of course, the guys are there in the cornfield, you know, because that's what they do. And they, they pop out, and they, they see, they're looking in the window, and they see that Daniel is praying, and aha, this is what we needed. Now we can run back to the king and go, King, um, remember that law you signed? Yes. Remember that it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. can't be changed. Yes. Well, Daniel has, has broken it, and now he has to go to the lion's den because that's what we sign in the law of the Medes and the Persians. And what's fascinating about this is that when Darius, Cyrus, hears that and realizes what just happened, now he realizes he got snookered, and he realizes Daniel's been caught up in a conspiracy. And he realizes there's nothing he can do about it. He is grieved and upset with himself. It's just a fascinating difference in character between him and Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar has word about Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, how dare they not do what I say, you know, and, and uh, he drags them in front of him and, and says... What God could possibly deliver you from my hand? Remember, there's no God that could deliver you from my hand. And, and Cyrus, when he hears this, he's cut to the quick. He's broken by it. He brings Daniel, and he says the opposite to Daniel. He says, your God will deliver you. I'm confident, Daniel. There's nothing I can do uh, to get us out of this. Though he tries. He tries a couple quick last-minute political maneuvers, but can't get it done. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel's going to have to go to the lion's den. And as, he, as Cyrus goes with him, that's when Cyrus says those amazing words, your God can deliver you. And I'm going to be praying <laughs> to your God that he might deliver you. May he deliver you. And then he seals him, rolls the stone in front of the, uh, the cave and uh, puts his signet ring on it. And it's a done deal. And we're going to have to wait. And then... And then we get the story moves back to the palace. It doesn't take us into the lion's den. What's going on in the lion's den, we're left completely in the dark. But we're taken back to the palace to see what's going on there with Cyrus, which is fascinating because Cyrus can't sleep. Cyrus is so upset. Cyrus is, is rolling and, and turning over the fact that, that this is going on with Daniel. He's just, hoping, he's, just, he's just hoping against hope that Daniel's God will deliver him. And it's awesome because when the sunlight comes up, he, like, I think like the father and the prodigal son, you know, like doing a very, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
not shameful, but certainly not honorable. Uh, there's a better word. But, um, you know, where the, the father of the prodigal son just lifts up his robe and starts running to grab his son. Well, here the king, the king gets up early in the morning and does the same thing. He runs out. You know, doesn't send his servants, hey, bring back the news. Let me know how Daniel's doing. No, he runs out like the father and runs to the den and cries out, Daniel, Daniel, is it possible that you're still in there? And he hears the voice of Daniel. May the king live forever. <laughs> remember, Daniel, Daniel didn't greet Nebuchadnezzar that way. I don't know if you remember that. He, he just, remember, or Belshazzar. You know, when he goes to see Belshazzar, everybody's going, oh, may the king live forever. May the king live forever. And then Daniel comes to Belshazzar and he just, let me tell you something, king. Uh, the, the writing on the wall stuff. He didn't even, he didn't even address him that way. But, but Cyrus comes running out. Daniel, is it possible you're still down there? And he's like wincing. And, and Daniel says, may the king live forever. And oh, that must have felt so good to Cyrus. And uh, yes, my God has delivered me. The lions didn't touch me. And like Nebuchadnezzar, like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, not even smelling like smoke. So Daniel comes up out of the lion's den, not even with a scratch on him. Oh, and then, and then, yeah, then, then old Cyrus had another little law, the Medes and the Persians, uh, round up the conspirators, them and their families, so it's a little bit tough, um, and throw them in there. And we're told that as they're thrown in there, before they even reach the bottom of the pit, the, the lions are on them and mauling them. And we're given some little gory details there. And the reason for that is to show that these weren't tame lions. They were not, you know, they were not uh, fangless. You know, they were hungry. But they had been, by the hand of God, uh, kept from eating Daniel. Daniel's taken from there, and then Cyrus, it just elated, uh, elevates Daniel, and then sends out an edict into the whole land that Daniel's God uh, will be feared by everyone, every race, every tribe, and every tongue, because he is the God who hears and who delivers and who rescues his people. And so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and it says, and in the reign of Cyrus, and again, we take that to mean Darius, who is also Cyrus. But, okay, so there's the story, a familiar story, but maybe some of those details you don't remember from your Sunday school lessons in the past. Now, what are we to make of this? I just want three observations to make on these. First, again, the sort of the obvious ones. Um, that, again, this is what living in exile looks like, right? Living in exile is not going to be, you know, with just all pats on the backs from our, from our neighbors. You know, there was a time in this land when, when uh, and I say this land, I mean in America, when being a Christian got you something. It kind of was like a cultural positive. Uh, Aaron Wren uh, um, talks about this in, in, uh, in his three worlds. He said there's positive world, neutral world, and negative world. And uh, where <clears throat> there was a time in which America was was positive world, where it was like being a Christian got it was like cultural cash. If you were a Christian, it it, it gave you respect. Still, you can go down south. I mean, you, you go down south sometimes. You see billboards like for people running for office, and it's like taught Sunday school, and like like that that wouldn't really get you a lot up in New York. But but down there, as a Sunday school teacher, and he was this, and he was that. Uh, still gives you a little. There's still a little bit down south of positive cultural influence. And then Aaron Wren says, we slid from that into neutral world where it didn't, it was neither here or there. Fine. You want to be a Christian? Fine. But, 
but he said, we're actually sliding into negative world now where, where being a Christian actually hurts you. If you find out you're a Sunday school teacher, it's probably not going to help you get elected. It, it may actually hurt you because it might mean that you're a hater, you know, or you, you affirm these absolutes of the Bible and so forth. And so Aaron Wren, um, uh, challenges, uh, Christians to think about what it means to live in a negative world. Uh, you gotta, you gotta think through the strategies of that. But that's no surprise. The, the, the history of the world has generally been negative world. Right? There's these little blips in history where like being a Christian, it gives you, a, is a cultural positive. In most pla- in most places and times throughout the history of the world, being a Christian costs you something. And that's what it is here. Even though we're pretty Christian, we get the point with Daniel. As a representative of the Christian God, it's going to cost him something. And we have to recognize that. Jesus said, they hated me. They will hate you. Right? They, they, they kill me. They will kill you. I mean, he says this right out to his disciples and they do. They have to face that immediately right within their home cities of Jerusalem. Right? They're going to feel it. And then as we go out into the world, but brothers and sisters, this is the world in which you live. What we read in Daniel is a picture of our world. We are in exile and we have to be prepared for that. Like, again, my nature is to whine about it. My nature is to grumble about it. My nature is, my nature is to bemoan it. Oh, we're losing, you know, we're losing this, we're losing that. We need to get this back. We need to get that back. But in some sense, this is the world that he has called us into. And we see this in Daniel. You saw it in, in, uh, in the book of Esther as well. We referenced that. That living in exile for Esther seems like things are going swimmingly. <laughs> you know, you're in the harem of the king. I guess that's a good thing. You know, and, and, uh, and, and okay, you know, you're, you've kind of, you're at the high, you know, high levels. You're, you're enjoying the, the food at the king's table, you know. But, but you're not home. You're not home. And like this, boom, things can turn against you. And there's this guy, Haman, who, who wants to get you. You know, he's there to undermine you. And that's the reality in which we live. And so it is for us as Christians. Peter, said to his readers in our word of exhortation today in 1 Peter 5, you know, resist the devil, but beware. He is like a roaming, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And here, the conspirators against Daniel were like ravenous lions. And in Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, it was almost as if he is being given over to the, the fangs and the claws of his conspirators. But Daniel was willing to go. Daniel, Daniel didn't begrudgingly accept this. Daniel, wait, they signed that I can't pray? Okay, I'm going to pray. Like Daniel threw open the sashes and said, fine, then come get me. At the end of the day, I know the world in which I live and I know where my loyalties lie. And what is top priority to me is faithfulness to God. Now, you want to put me to the test? You, you want to test where my loyalties lie? Then let's do it. My loyalties lie with Almighty God, and therefore I will pray. And if that means I have to be given over to the conspirators, to the lions, the roaring lions, figuratively and then literally, okay, then let's do it. And so there is a model for us. Daniel's not merely a moral example, but he is a moral example. He is a challenge to us and a call to us about what obedience looks like in a land of lions, 
in the land of people where the gospel is not loved but hated and where we need to, we're called to stand firm. And so, brothers and sisters, first charge to you is let us remember the land in which we live. It's a land where you may very well get thrown to the lions. In our age, fine. It doesn't look like an actual pit of lions, but it, I don't know what it looks like. It looks like a ravenous culture that, who knows, a, a, a mob rises up against you on Twitter, on social media, outside your business. I don't know. But we see it happening all over the place. The lions gathering around people who take a stand for righteousness. So be prepared for that. You have to gird yourself up for that now. Second point in observation is that our God is a God who delivers us. Our God is a God who delivers. And hence, that's what I chose for the title of the sermon, the God who delivers, because that's what, that's what Cyrus says about Daniel's God. He is a God who delivers, and, and Cyrus, Darius, wanted the whole world to know it. And brothers and sisters, we have to know that. But what's interesting about this story is that God did not deliver him from the lions. He delivered him through the lions. Right? It's not like, oh no, this is really scary, and, and don't worry, God doesn't allow his people to go down into the den. No, he went down into the den. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in and through the fiery furnace. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames will not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine, says the hymn writer. Our God is a God who delivers, but we have to reckon with the fact that there have been many, many faithful men and women who have been eaten by lions for the name of Christ. There have been many faithful Christians who have died at the edge of the sword. Now, what do we say about them? Well, that's a really great story about Daniel, but how did it help that guy? And what's that mean for me then? I've been thinking about this with my seniors because we're, we're talking, we're, we're in a class called Apologetics, Defending the Faith. We've been thinking about the problem of evil and suffering and so forth, and we've talked about that in here as well. And I reference Dolores Hay, uh, who was a member of this church when I first came. Those who are here a long time will remember her. She got cancer not much long after I came here and battled it for four years and then passed away. She's, besides my father, uh, she's the only person I've been with at their last breath um, here uh, we were at Westchester Medical and um, watched her suffer for four years joyfully, if I can say that. Um, I watched her die in the Lord uh, with joy. And it's a, it was an amazing thing to experience for a young pastor, I can tell you that. Um, but I struggle, not, I didn't struggle, but what I wanted to do, because there's all I was done, all, all I came away from that with was joy. In, in watching Dolores hold her faith to the end so strong. But I preached the next Sunday. She died on a Saturday. I preached that next Sunday in Psalm 103, which we sing every Sunday. We take the Lord's Supper because I wanted the church to deal with the fact that we had prayed for Dolores for four years and she died. And the fact that in Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And I was like, how do we, how do we reconcile these two things? Because is, is Psalm 103 just a hallmark, refrigerator, magnet, cliche 
that really can turn someone away from the faith because it's obviously wrong <laughs> because he did not heal Dolores's diseases. Oh, you say, uh, soul, don't forget all his benefits. He heals all your diseases, but he didn't heal Dolores's. And I chose as our worship this morning, Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, you know, um, the, the, you know, all who take shelter under the wings of the Almighty, you know, the, the, the perilous pestilence will not come near their tent. You know, no plague will befall you. You don't need to fear the arrow by noonday, the plague at, at night. You know, these 10,000 may fall at your side, but not, you'll just stand there and watch. It's like, what do we do with passages like that? Because they're patently not true. If you don't have eyes to see. Because people have died. Dolores died. Many people have gone into lion's den and been eaten by lions. The Roman Colosseum. Christians were thrown in there and literally eaten by lions. Not to mention other horrible persecutions that they had to endure. What are we supposed to do with that? And that's why I want to make sure that when we think about this passage and we go, oh, our God is the God who delivers. Yes, he is. Don't ever doubt that. We stand by that. We put it in all caps. We can put three exclamation marks on the end of it and we can say, praise God. But let us remember, our God delivers us through the lion's den. Not necessarily from the lion's den. The good news is Psalm 103 is true. Psalm 91 is true. Yes, soul, don't forget as you're dying with cancer that the Lord heals all your diseases. And he most certainly has and will in and through Jesus Christ. And Dolores, hey, brothers and sisters, is going to rise from the dead with a glorified cancer-free body in which she will dwell for all eternity. And when we celebrate that day, we will sing Psalm 103 and we will say, huzzah, he has done it. He kept his word. And we can have every confidence he will keep his word because we've seen Jesus Christ go into the grave and come out. He did not deliver his son from death. He delivered him through death. He kept his promises into the lion's den and out of the lion's den. And even those who were ravaged by the lions have indeed been delivered through the lions by the work of Jesus Christ. And I think that if we don't reckon with this, we can look and say, well, golly, you know, okay, that happened with Daniel, but I mean, I've seen others not, the Lord not deliver them. No, you've never seen a believer that the Lord has not delivered. Because all of us have been delivered through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And hence, even as Mark referenced earlier, as Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore nothing that can separate us. No, lions can't separate you. Cancer can't separate you. The sword can't separate you. The fear of death, the plague that wastes at noonday can't do it. The arrow that flies, you know, the plague that wastes in nighttime or the arrow that flies at noonday. None of these things can separate you from the love of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. So on the one hand, yes, remember the world you live in. You are called to suffer. Uh, go read 1 Peter all the way through. We read just 1 Peter 5. Read it all the way through. Be prepared to suffer. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the fiery trial comes upon you. But then secondly, remember, your God is a God who delivers. But you need to know he delivers through the fire, not from the fire. 
He delivers us through death, not from death. Which brings us then finally to the picture that Daniel ultimately points to. And of course, that is the work of Jesus Christ. If we only look at Daniel as a moral example, then we're like, okay, <laughs> I got I to gotta gird up here. I got to be strong. I got to do this. And you do have to do this. You have to stand in a world that wants to kill you for your beliefs. You, yes, you have to stand, okay? But Daniel, you've got to remember, you're not Daniel in this story probably, right? What you are is some Israelite living out in the midst of Babylon somewhere, hearing a story about, a, about Daniel who's up at the top. He, he, is, he is basically the king. He's right under the king. And praise God, he's been faithful because do you know what it means? Because Daniel's been faithful, a decree has gone out through the entire land saying everybody must fear God. Daniel gives us a glorious, amazing picture of Christ. And this picture of Christ is what may and must fill us with confidence. I mean, you, I'm sure you hear it in the story. Daniel's a man in which they can find no guilt. Like they can, they're, they're scrapping around trying to find an ounce of guilt on this man. A bit of dirt, they can't do it. We hear the words of Pontius Pilate as he washes his hands and comes out and goes, guys, I got it. To all the conspirators, there's, I find no guilt in this man. But they find some loophole thing. Well, hey, if, you know, if not, then you know what? We're going to have to tell Caesar here that, you know, you're, you're allowing the worship of another king, you know, the, the, the honor of a, a guy who claims to be another king. And so fine. Pontius Pilate reluctantly, turns him over and he's killed and he's put in the lion's den, if you will, with a stone rolled in front of the, all the cave. And the next morning or the morning thereafter, the women come running to the cave and there's Jesus to greet them. Daniel gives us a picture of the savior, the greater Daniel that is to come. And it's almost like in the life of Daniel, you see the whole lot. You see the, 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 the no guilt in the man. He goes down into the pit of death. The stone is rolled in front of it. The stone is rolled away. Out he comes. He is then elevated. And then on the other side, you even have like a great commission. A, a message now goes out to every nation, to all peoples and nations. I think of Jesus as he comes out, he meets with the disciples and say, hey, now go into all nations you know, baptizing and declaring to them everything I've taught you. And when Daniel comes up out of the, the pit, when the stone is rolled away, he is elevated by, by Cyrus. And now this great commission decree is sent out. Make, get here. I'm writing a decree. Get this out to all the nations, to all peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth. Peace to you. I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God steadfast forever. The king, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end for he delivers. He delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth for who he is the one who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, all of Israel will prosper and they can be emboldened now. They can be emboldened in the light of this decree that is now going out among all nations that they too might stand and name the name of Yahweh and pray toward Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, so it is for us. Our greater Daniel has already gone before us. He doesn't charge us to go do stuff that he hasn't done. He has gone before us. He was faithful in the face of the wrath of God, in the face of Roman Empire, imperial power, while there was no guilt on him, he willingly went. 
right down into the pit. And three days later, he came out glorified and renewed and ascended to the right hand of the Father and now summons us to go. So the charge that I give to you today, the charge that I believe we get from the book of Daniel is not merely a charge, hey, go be like Daniel, but it's the charge is be like Daniel because Daniel has done it for you. Be like Christ because Christ has already conquered the grave. He has ripped the teeth out of the lions, if you will. You need not fear the lion's den. This is why Dolores could have joy even in her last breaths. Dolores never feared death. I'm a young kid there with her. You know, I fear death. I fear Dolores' death. But there I am with Dolores, who is with joy, a, a, a joy that a dying person can have, not bubbly joy, but a rock-solid joy, a confidence. I remember, I remember on her, almost, almost her last words, but like with the last few breaths, calling her child and her grandchildren to follow Christ. It's like, wow, I'm standing there with her, and I'm standing kind of back so her family can be with her, and witnessing this. Dolores didn't fear the lions. She was ready to go into the lion because she already knew they were defanged. She already knew going in here doesn't mean God. God's going to deliver me through this. Out the other side, he has, he has punched a hole through the back side of the cave of death. And therefore, there was no fear because our God is a God who delivers. I saw him do with Jesus Christ. And if I'm his, then I have the same. And so may we be filled with that confidence as we find ourselves in trials, as we find ourselves against death, which is inevitable for all of us. May we have that supreme confidence of Psalm 91, of Psalm 103, the confidence of Daniel, the confidence of Dolores. May we have that in our own battles and give Christ the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at such stories, we contemplate to ourselves whether or not we could have done such a thing. And the answer is no. But Father, we thank you for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ who has done it for us. He has achieved this. He was faithful unto the end, though there was no guilt in him. Nonetheless, he was willing to face the lions, trusting fully to you, giving his spirit unto you, O Lord, and entrusting himself to you. And you faithfully delivered him from the grave, and we with him. We thank you for that. So fill us with courage, we pray. Fill us with resolve. Remind us that as long as we live in exile here in Babylon, we are to stand, knowing that the lions that roar against us have no teeth if we are in Christ, and they are not to be feared. May we put our confidence in you, O Lord God, and be faithful unto you, knowing that we have eternity with you, because you are the faithful God, the God who delivers and rescues his people. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.